Maybe you didn't know it, but it's actually only seven miles. It's only seven miles from Jerusalem to the town of Emmaus. Thinking back and looking back in history, there are two men who are taking that seven-mile trip. But at least as they begin, that trip is actually going to seem like a thousand miles. The reason why this trip in the beginning seems like such a long journey for them is because of what they've been experiencing over the last several days. They have seen and they have heard about, and at one level or another, they have experienced the passion of Jesus. They've they've known about and seen and and experienced the, the suffering and the death that Jesus had to go through. And as a result of, of having seen and experienced those things, it's, it's, it's really left them sad. It's left them doubting. And it's left them uncertain about the future, and it has left them feeling just a little bit lost. And what's interesting here is the feelings that they're having right now are really actually the opposite of the feelings that they're supposed to be having. At this point, instead of feeling those ways, they should be feeling great sense of joy and certainty that through the life and death of Jesus, what they have seen and what they've been participating in is actually God's purpose and His salvation plan bursting onto the scene through Jesus Christ. Instead of this being a sad and a disheartening moment, this should be a glorious moment in view of the great coming of the Messiah to bring salvation into the world. But instead of feeling that way, they are walking along this seven-mile journey with heavy footsteps, with slumped shoulders, and with the burden of uncertainty hanging on their shoulders in view of Jesus' death. But as they walk along, what will happen is a stranger will approach them and begin to travel with them. And it's with that background and that said that I I want to encourage you to open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. In verse 17, and we're going to pick up the story there. And we're going to see what happens to these two men in this journey. Verse 17, Luke 24. And he said to them, what are these words that you are exchanging with one another as you're walking? And they stood still, looking sad. One of them, named Cleopas, answered and said to him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem and unaware of the things which have happened here in these days? And he said to them, What things? And they said to him, Well, the things about Jesus the Nazarene, who was a a prophet mighty in deeds and word and in the sight of God and all the people. 
and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to the sentence of death and crucified him. Verse 21. But we were hoping that it was he who was going to redeem Israel. Indeed, besides all of this, it's the third day since these things happened. But also some women among us amazed us. When they were at the tomb early in the morning and did not find his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just exactly as women also had said, but him they did not see. And he said to them, O foolish men and slow of heart to believe in all that the prophets have spoken, was it necessary for the Christ to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Then beginning with Moses and with all the prophets, he explained to them the things concerning himself in all of the scriptures. And they approached the village where they were going, and he acted as though he was going farther. But they urged him, saying, Stay with us, for it's getting toward evening, and and the day is now nearly over. So he went in to stay with them. And when he had reclined at the table with them, he took the bread and he blessed it. And breaking it, he began giving it to them. Then their eyes were opened and they recognized him. And he vanished from their sight. They said to one another, were not our hearts burning within us while he was speaking to us on the road, while he was explaining the scriptures to us? You see, they have, if you look here in this story, they have all the facts. They have all of the details and the information that they need to put two and two together and draw what should be a very obvious conclusion as to what is going on. To be able to conclude that what they have been seeing and what they have been hearing has been the fulfillment of God's salvific plan here among men. They they should have been able to recognize that reality. They knew that Jesus was a prophet by their own words. They knew he was a prophet, but he was mighty in word and deed in the sight of God and in the sight of men. And they knew that he had been wrongfully betrayed and then put to death by the hands of evil men. They knew that. And they had even heard and been amazed by this story that Jesus was alive. But instead of that clicking in their heads and reminding them of the messianic prophecies that these things were pointing to, instead of making those conclusions, instead of being amazed and celebrating the truth of the fact that divine forgiveness had now come into the human context through the life and death of Jesus, instead of all of that, Jesus looks into their hearts, listens to their words, and he says, you are slow of heart to believe. Here's what's interesting, though. 
is as they move forward to Emmaus. What Jesus is going to do is he's going to take them backwards. He's going to take them back through Moses, and he's going to take them back through the scriptures, through the prophets and the prophecies concerning the realities of the Messiah as prophesied in scripture. And what he's going to do here, and watch as we go through, is that he is going to change their hearts. He's going to change their hearts. Right now, they're slow of heart to believe, but he's going to change that. And, and it says here in the text that Jesus began with Moses and all the prophets. And I don't, I don't know if, if, he, if he talked about everything that Moses said or, and, and talked about all of the prophecies. Darren, you, you think about all of the prophecies that are out there. I, I'm not sure in seven miles he had time to cover. If anybody could, it would have been Jesus. I'm not sure what all he covered in prophecy, but here's, here's what I know. Is that he began with Moses. And maybe he began here with Genesis 3.15. And they're going back and, and hearing the words of God as recorded by Moses. And, and, and this scripture that foresees the coming Savior of the world, world through this through this prophetic message of one who was coming. And Satan would bruise him on the heel, but he would turn around and he would crush Satan's, Satan's head. That begins this journey, begins this, this picture of a suffering servant that would come to save the world from evil. Well, well I think surely he must have gone to Isaiah 53, Right? Surely he must have gone to Isaiah 53, which so clearly foretold of all of those agonizing, deadly moments that Jesus was going, the Messiah was going to experience, whether it was in Gethsemane or whether it was on the cross. All of those things that, that spoke of that, that were essential for the atonement and the forgiveness of sin in humanity to come about. Surely Jesus told them how Isaiah said that the Messiah would carry our sorrow, smitten of God and afflicted. That he would be pierced and, uh, and, and, and uh, crushed for our transgressions and our iniquities. That the scourging of our healing would come on him. And, and how he said that this Messiah would be oppressed and afflicted like a lamb led to the slaughter, becoming a guilt offering for many. And, and, and certainly he, he revealed how Isaiah revealed that this Messiah would be cut off from the land of the living for those to whom the stroke or the penalty was due. Surely Jesus showed what Moses had said and was showing what Isaiah was saying about the suffering and dying servant and Messiah of God. Well, maybe too to Psalm, uh, Psalm 16, verses 8 through 11, where King David the prophet, speaking prophetically, speaks of how the Messiah, even after death, would not be abandoned to Hades, but but. God would not let his 
flesh see corruption. Clearly a, a reference to his resurrection. And finally, I would think that Jesus would point out to them the passage in Psalm 10 in verse 1. A passage that, that helps to see that although Jesus was standing right in front of them at this moment, that he wasn't going to be there forever, that he would eventually ascend and, and join the Father and be at his right hand and there reign until the day in which he can make all of his enemies and subject them to his feet. You see, Isaiah is clearly painting this portrait of God's suffering servant that would come into this world to bring salvation to humanity. And while we don't know what exactly where those passages of Scripture that Jesus utilized to communicate that truth to them, here's what we do know, that those passages of Scripture were enough. And they were enough because we see in them the change. What I'm calling the change. What happens is that they go from being these men who had these slow-to-believe hearts to by their own testimony being men who had hearts that were burning within them. As Jesus began to show them through Scripture who he was and what that means, that created this great change in them. As they began to see and realize that everything that had taken place was in complete concert with God's plan to bring salvation to this world, it inspired this change in them to go from slow of heart to believe to having hearts burning within them. You see, what I think is happening is that Jesus is replacing that emptiness of doubt and confusion that's within their heart. He's replacing that with, with increasing faith and hope and assurance in Jesus Christ as being their Savior and Lord. And that's happening as Jesus is speaking to them on the way. Ultimately, Jesus was sparking a flame of faith within the hearts of these two men. As I think about this event in history, and as I think about us, so I think about the followers of Jesus today. I, I see really clearly that Jesus has a specialty. He has, this little, he has this specialty about him. And that specialty is, is he has the ability to change hearts. He has the ability to take hearts that were once doubting and confused and turn those into hearts full of faith and assurance and hope and very confident about who he is and who their future is. He has this ability to change people in that way. Jesus had the ability, not just in those men, but within us, to change our hearts, to create the change within us so that we too would no longer be confused or doubting, but would have hearts burning with faith.
and hope and assurance that we would know for sure that Jesus is our Savior. You know, we see that. Where we're at now, and because of, uh, of the walk that we've had through the Word with Jesus and spending time with Him, here's what's happened to us as believers. We, we too have experienced those doubts in the past, but now we're walking with faith and hope and assurance. And the reason is, is that we can look back and we can see Jesus as being, as being the one who was not simply, now follow me here, was not simply the one who the angel said was going to save his people from their sins, Matthew 1 and verse 23, 2. But what we see and understand is that Jesus was the one who came to save your sins and my sins personally on the cross of Jesus Christ. And that's why our hearts burn within us. It's not just that he came to save the world, but he came to save you and he came to save me. And that's really important to me. Isn't that important to you? Yeah, it is. I know. And that truth should make your heart burn with joy today. But we've also seen that he is the one who both God and demons identified as being the one and only Son of God. As he walked on this earth, it wasn't just God at his baptism that said, this is my beloved Son in whom I'm well pleased. But it was, it was the demons that even recognized that he was the Son of God. And as we see that and understand that, we also now know that he is the incarnate Word. The one who was with God and was God from the very beginning. And he has brought into our lives both grace and truth, John says in John chapter 1. And that's why our hearts are burning within us. This is not just have salvation, but we have this grace and truth that he's bringing into our lives. And then we see him as one who has proved his authority. Proved his divine authority. Not just having, having authority over waves and over winds, but having authority over disease and having authority over death and having authority over demons and having authority over all demonic influences in this world. And as he shows that uh, authority to us, we know with certainty that Jesus was not the carpenter's son. Huh. But that he was who the angel said he was, he was Emmanuel, God with us. And that causes our heart to burn with confidence and joy, knowing who our Savior is. But then we also see him as the one who could have called 12 legions of angels, Matthew 26 and verse 53. That he didn't have to go through the sorrow, that he didn't have to go through the beating, that he didn't have to go through the scourging, that he didn't have to die on the cross, but that he voluntarily laid his life on the line, on the cross, in order that you, in order that, that me, that, that I should be able to have justification through faith, that I would have the opportunity to have salvation, that I would have the opportunity to have eternal forgiveness in the blood of Jesus Christ, and that causes my heart to burn within me. And I hope it does with you too. But I also, and we see 
that the one, he is the one who, who, whose resurrection was announced by angels and a resurrection that was witnessed by hundreds. And as we see that in Scripture, what happens to us is that then we understand that his statement and promise of being the resurrection and the life has come true. And that those who believe in him can experience that same resurrection and life. And because we see that and believe that and have hope in that, our hearts burn within us. And we too, finally we see that he was the one who not only was with the Father in the beginning, but he has gone back to the Father to prepare a place for us. And our hearts are not troubled. But our hearts burn within us because we realize that according to his promise and his power, that one day he will return and take us home to be with our God. And because of those things, our hearts burn within us. You see, we too have experienced the change. The doubts are gone, and we're left with faith and hope and assurance that Jesus was everything and so much more than we could ever dream of in the Savior, the Savior of our souls. Before I conclude this morning, I want us to go back to the passage one more time. And I want you to see there, and I want to... Is this, this one on? Okay, I lost the mic here. That when we look at this story, when we look at the end of the, the Emmaus Road story, that there's also this element of or attribute that exists in burning hearts. Read with me verses 33 and following. And they got up that very hour and returned to Jerusalem and found gathered together the eleven and those who were with them, saying, The Lord has really risen and has appeared to Simon. They began to relate their experience on the road and how he was recognized by them in the breaking of the bread. You see, when I look at this passage of Scripture, I recognize this. That burning hearts have a burning message. That burning hearts have a burning message. And that message that these men took back to troubled and disbelieving disciples was simple, yet it was life-changing. And that message is, the Lord has really risen. They got up that very hour and they went back, walked all the way back to where they came to share this message. The Lord is really risen. Because they knew that was the power to change the hearts of others. The Lord has really risen is the message that has been coming out of the burning hearts of disciples for over 2,000 years. 
And when you think about it, I want you to think this way. The Lord is really risen is not just an Easter Sunday morning message. It's an everyday message that should be burning within our hearts and burning to get out to tell others. Our calling is to proclaim the excellencies of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous light. Our calling is to proclaim to others our faith, our hope, and our assurance in Jesus Christ. And as we do, even in the simplest words and sharing that faith and hope and assurance, we too could be a spark that ignites the flame of faith in someone else's life. And one other thing I've come to realize, that every time we share our faith and hope and assurance, it stokes the flames of my heart all over again and even more than before. Maybe this morning your flame is starting to grow brighter. Maybe my words or some that you've been studying is, is creating a faith within you that calls you forward to come today to put him on in baptism and to receive his forgiveness and then to walk with him, not down the road to Emmaus, but down the road to heaven. Would you do that today while we stand and while we sing?